0: Hello and welcome. This is season two of The Road Provides, a travel podcast for the next generation of travelers, adventurers and vagabonds. I'm your host, Bradford Clement. Joining me on this wormhole through the travel world is my co-host, Nate Sundermeyer, aka the pride of American University. Shout out to my eagles. It's a landmark pod this week as we welcome our first guest to discuss hiking in the United States. So, so strap on your boots and buckle up your ears. This is the road provides.
1: Once an eagle, always an eagle. <laughs> that was good. <laughs>
0: Again, welcome everybody. We are back with episode three, season two. Nate, what's shaking, brother?
1: Good. I, You know, I think every week you try to throw me off with what you're going to call me, and the pride of American University is probably the most accurate. Some of those ones kind of get lost with me because you're such an old bull. Uh, I don't know if I've ever told you, did I ever tell you that I was the the mascot
0: for American? No. And that's ridiculous, but so appropriate for you.
1: Yeah, it's like, it probably not surprising, for surprising to anyone. Uh, yeah, I was the mascot, and I the, the sports weren't that great at American. So after like seven or eight games, I was like, I'm only doing the big events, special events, games the, like the Nationals games, the Christmas calendar, things like that. That's the only time I wanted to be utilized. How did you get that kind of
0: clout where you are just like, you know what? I'm uh I'm A one mascot. I, I, we're I'm getting too
1: to into my past that's not I'm gonna let the, <laughs> i want to look forward, not backward. Uh I was uh, an orientation leader and they were like, he's the tallest one. And they're like, He looks good in the suit. So I think that like goes a long way is how you look in the suit. There was like a girl who's like five two in the suit, and we're like, ooh, Doesn't, Claude Claude, yeah, Claude should be a bit taller than that. So So are you saying
0: you got scouted?
1: Yeah, more or less On got recruited. I, You No, know, I mean it's a small enough school that you like. You, I became friends with like the special events team, and they're like, "Hey, Nate, we need a we need a fucking special favor. <laughs> we need you to be Claude again." I go, "All right, let me suit up." But it is never. It's like not fun. It's not a fun thing, but it's like more of like this is a good story. I don't know.
0: Anyways, I, uh, <laughs> person personally, that's like a that's like a secret fantasy of mine. Oh really? Not be like a mascot? not not like in the furry, you know, sexual way, but <laughs> no, in, in, a, in a how awesome would it be to be a mascot for for a professional sports team or something like that? Maybe it doesn't even have to be that for me. I would love to sell beer at like a baseball game, like As, how oh just any of
1: that just to be yep. in, the, in the space. I, I'm telling you, when I met the guy from the Nationals, I think he makes like 300 or 400 k a year doing that, but he deserves what? it. It was an art form. Wow, it, The way he interacted with people, I watched him and I think people are like, why is Claude not moving? Because I was standing there with amazement looking at Screech. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, yeah, how are you doing on your end, man? Man, I'm good. I woke up this morning and it was negative 11 degrees. Here you're not in,
1: Fairf- in Fairfax County anymore, are you?
0: No, I, I may have made a mistake, Nate. May have made a mistake.
1: I think being from Arizona, I never could go full winter. I could go half winter, but not full winter. Now you're going
0: full winter. I'm actually really surprised how I've handled this. It's not as cold as I thought. The saying goes, like, your body does truly adapt to this stuff. And I think um, what I'm going to do is get your address and
1: send you a a hooded down jacket, and then we'll be good to go. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, moving on to our first segment of the night, it is the travel takes. If this is your first time listening, we do anything in the travel sphere— that is getting us hot getting us all fired up and you know what sometimes you might say fuck these guys for it but at the same time we're trying to bring some heat to start off the pod brad what do you have for me this week
0: all right this week i think some people might hate me for this uh certain people in the travel sphere if you will my hot take this week is on digital nomads so last month a tweet thread went viral Basically, an American living in Bali posted about how they moved to Bali pre pandemic and ended up staying there to write it out. They went on about how it changed their life, blah, 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 and that you, fellow American, should do it too. Hashtag also please buy my ebook. <laughs> so the tweet got so big, it caught the attention of the Indonesian government and it didn't go over well, to say the least. Almost immediately, this American and their partner were deported. So the take this week is I absolutely cannot stand when Westerners flaunt their privilege in the developing world like their gods. And that's all this is. Digital nomads haven't hacked anything. They haven't walked on water to get that life. They're on an extended vacation while they work. This life exists because of their passport, AKA their nationality and the value of the dollar. And that's it. What really got me going and drove me wild is that this person used all like the right digital nomad cult language. The tweet starts, moving out of America in my, it sounds like a Buzzfeed article, moving out of America in my twenties was a game changer. 22 ways moving out of America makes, is a complete game changer. (laughs) Yes, and it continues with cult code. Elevate your lifestyle. The move was intuitive. Build a community who know their divinity and want to thrive, not survive. You ain't thriving shit. Your dollar thrives. You're working a loophole that the world hasn't figured out with, you know, hasn't figured out what to do with these digital nomads. So I'm about to hyperventilate. Nate, help me help me out. No,
1: here. I completely I think the big thing is if you look when you're in it, you can kind of be like, oh wow, I'm creating this. Out of it, you it kind of looks like Leonardo DiCaprio in the beach. And if you haven't seen the movie, it like they enter like this kind of like mystical utopia that isn't actually re like it's kind of forced and fake. I mean, you're not a taxpayer; you're not paying taxes. Nope, you're not you're, a resident. You're not a resident. You're I mean, and you look at a lot of like they're probably living in Changu. Changu is just like there's no; it's completely stripped of local. Culture at this point because it's basically a bunch of demigods from Australia, California, riding around long hair, no helmet, just thinking that like they've they've hacked life.
0: Yeah, with services and restaurants and things that cater to foreigners. Right. However, let me let me and just prices. look it back. Yes, go ahead. If you can figure out a way
1: to live on the road and live in this country, should you do it? Because
0: I think if you did it and didn't brag about it that's a different thing right well so that's a whole that's a whole different conversation if you move to a place if you look to become a resident if you do it legally if you get a job there and you become a functioning member of society that's not what i'm talking about what i'm talking about is that these these people are acting as if that they're really living there but they're not really fucking living there they're just on vacation working remotely and earning usd or euros or australian dollar or whatever and then Existing in this country on that dollar, I I don't even want to go too far down that road. No, I just want to
1: say, like, let's rephrase it. If you went, if you moved to Montana to be a digital nomad and wrote the same thing, people are like, "Nah, he like."
0: No, because they're the reason they have moved there, and, and they go on on this in their tweets. And the reason people do this is that they're living at a fraction of the cost this person was going on how they live in this tree house, brand new, all this crazy modern shit. And it was $400 a month. And so they're like, you know, we've hacked it. We've cut our costs. And, you know, we're living, we're thriving, living beautifully. And I was like, no, you just moved to a place where the dollar is strong as fucking shit. And they're allowing you to live in, you know, live, quote unquote, live, stay in their country, as long as you pump your dollars back into their economy. So let's get out of this conversation. There's so many Nuts can, and bolts can, yeah, about yeah, it, that really I don't. Think go, yeah, exactly. I, no, that I don't really want to get into. That I, I think the overarching point is what we need to hammer down. Can we just put the 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 shoe on the other foot real quick? Do you know what happens to foreigners when they try to work in the United States on a tourist visa? It's impossible. It's impossible, and they won't even let you in the fucking country. They will stop you at the airport, put you on a flight immediately back home if they find evidence that you are planning to work in the U.S. or have some kind of vehicle to work. I don't know about remotely, but anyway, I know an Australian girl that was stopped at immigration in Hawaii. Agents found an email that she was in her, I don't know, phone or something, and that she was trying to teach yoga, fucking yoga on the beach. Boom, turned her around and said, take your ass back to Australia. That's nuts.
1: And I was going to say, I mean, that's, I mean, Australia is a strong passport, like a passport like Indonesia or something like that, like that doesn't have this carry the same weight as...
0: And imagine those folks even trying to legally get a tourist visa to come to the United States. It really is
1: flaunting every bit of privilege you've been given. Absolutely.
0: I want to be clear here. Go live abroad. Live in Bali, for Christ's sakes. It will probably be a positive experience for you. But save me your privilege. We are fucking lucky to travel as Americans. That big blue passport we have is a lottery ticket for travel. And the strength of the American dollar is the gasoline that fuels the adventure. We're fortunate guests, aren't we, Nate? Across the majority of the globe. And if we want to keep it that way, we've got to lose the privilege. That's... That's it. It's the flaunting the privilege as if you are holier than now, or somehow you figured out how to do this. It's it's bullshit. You're American. People want your money. They let you in, and and that's the bare bones of it. I don't think there's anything. I don't think there's anything more to add to it than that. I think I've hammered my point home. <laughs>
1: when you were talking about fueling the fire, your passport's the the match, and there's gas. I was like, wow.
0: It's just straight up. That's the man. most well, fired up I've seen you in a while, Brad. That's good. That's good. It, And I dropped a bunch of F-bombs. I'm sorry. But um, we're just so lucky. And I don't know if Westerners, Europeans and the like understand. I've met so many and I have so many friends across the world. And it's so hard for them to get... Visas to come into United States just to travel unless they come from upper middle-class families So for the reverse to happen, I just want us to all I don't know kind of have an appreciation Obviously Americans going to Europe is something different whatever. I'm kind of more talking specifically about getting into developing world and and, I think
1: yeah, I think the tweet was perfectly fine except the hashtag buy my ebook no, I'm just giving you a hard time.
0: All right, well, I'll move on to the next <laughs> All right, one. switch it up. What, uh, awesome. What's your, what's your hot take this week for us there, Big Nate? My travel take this
1: week is there is not a single better way to endear yourself to locals than through watching sports with them. Sports is the key to the lock of locals' hearts. <laughs> and this doesn't have to be everywhere, but I'm just saying in general, I'm putting a big umbrella on here. And before you turn off your ears and sigh and say, Nate, I hate sports, listen to me and you just hear me out. Things are different in other parts of the world. That's a given. But in some parts of the world, sports in their team, whatever that sport may be, is their life. It is their passion. It is the most single important thing to them. So if you roll in to their little town, to their little hamlet, to their city and say, oh, cool, nice team. They're going to love you because you're basically complimenting their most important thing. You don't need to know everything. You just need to roll in there, know what color jerseys they're wearing, say a few things, and just show some interest because that will win you drinks. It'll win you favor, and who knows what will happen from there, but locals will love you for it.
0: You know, this is it. It's sports. Sports is, it's cliche, but it goes across borders. It goes across uh, cultures, countries. And I liked at the beginning, you were kind of saying, you know, a sport, a country can really latch on to just one sport. It's quite different than our experience in the US where we have four major sports, people can kind of pick and choose, oh, we're hockey people, we're basketball people. We like uh, baseball. Yeah. Yeah. And the NFL and everything. But when you go to, to certain countries in certain p- parts of the world, it's, you know, it's cricket or bust or rugby or bust or soccer. And so if you show just a little bit of interest, maybe not in the game, but maybe in the culture that surrounds the game, some of the chanting, some of the singing, drinking it's really a way to to quickly inject yourself into a culture into a people. And it's happened so many times for me. Usually, I get befriended by the old guys at the bar. <laughs> yeah, it's a great way to meet old men if you're looking to meet old men on the road. Um but I, I'm with you. I will say though that you're kind of contradicting a point from last season. You I said, know I knew this
1: would you, say I, eating <laughs> weird shit was the way to injure yourself. but I you know what? You grow up, you evolve, you think about it kind of like this it's like a ha ha he ate something weird or yes come on lads get in (laughs) up the reds come on you know it's like a bit more stimulating and i think um quite a bit safer option too you know
0: you really you really reduce your food poisoning uh (laughs) um,
1: unless you see those old men as being dangerous um yeah exactly and i was gonna say i mean i think in new zealand what ended up being my best friends my friend had a ticket that he couldn't go he's like Go to the rugby game with all my friends. And I met up with them and I was kind of like, up the and That's all I said. And they were like, here, have some whiskey. And and it was like in a Capri Sun type type of container. They're like, here, suck down on some boysenberry sucky, which was really just uh, whiskey and coke. But it was, I mean, I ended up becoming really good friends with them after going to those games two weeks in a row. They became my best friends in New Zealand. And I think, I don't know, that's a really good way to start it off. So... Um, anyways, I'm, uh, I'm ready to get a third wheel in here.
0: Our guest today is a good friend of mine and the pod, the one and only Dan Sanders. We brought him in today to discuss through hiking two of America's most renowned hiking trails, the Appalachian Trail on the East Coast, which stretches from Georgia to Maine and the Pacific Crest Trail its West Coast cousin that runs from California to Washington. Some quick background on Dan and his travel chops. In 2006, he was halfway through a CPA exam and starting a career in Washington, C when he decided to press pause and backpack across the world for 18 months. When he got back, he said, you know what? I'm gonna double down on that. And I'm going to hike the entire Appalachian Trail. He finished that and then did a firefighting season in California, bonkers. And finally, in 2011, he hiked a good portion of the Pacific Crest Trail with his then-girlfriend and now-wife. Hi, Jamie. Dan's back in Washington, D.C. these days. Let's give him a warm welcome, Nate. Dan, yeah. welcome in.
1: Yeah. You seem like man, the right man. type of guy to, to start off uh, maybe a long string of having guests on here.
2: I'm excited for a new phase for the uh, the pod. Yeah, baby. Season a one. A man great. who's done it all. He,
1: but has he done a podcast? That's the real I, question.
2: I haven't. This is my first time. I'm excited to check this off the list.
1: Yep. Well, welcome, Brad. Makes it so easy and so fun.
0: <laughs> all right. So we really want to focus on the hiking aspect of your adventures, Dan. But before we get there, what was the flip switching moment? that made you stop your pursuit of the CPA and go backpacking for 18 months?
2: So when when I was young, I guess, uh, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do the grind and I, you know, tell everybody, uh, even kids that I meet these days, the 21 year olds, like, you can always do it later. You can always go back to the grind to DC, but I couldn't do it and I was at a, at a low point of life and my parents had looked at me and I was living at their house and they were just like, go do something else. Otherwise you might, you know, Seriously, injure yourself. At at that point, I was just like, "All right, that that's true. Like, let's get out of here."
1: Do you think when they said go do something else, that's what they had in mind?
2: Uh, They they knew it was in me. They knew the the travel bug had been there, and you know, I just they knew that working wasn't wasn't right for me at that point.
1: And had you traveled much before that? Before you had gone and decided, you know what, fuck it, eighteen months, let's hit it
2: not, not on, on that kind of level. Like I grew up, my parents were in the military, so we moved quite a bit around the United States. So like that always was, was part of me, but never, never just backpacking like that.
0: You also told me in kind of our pre-interview that when this, this moment in your life, you were working in the bottom of the Department of Justice in a in a room or an office with no windows, commuting to D.C. every day. I mean, that's um, enough to make anybody want to it, leave it all.
2: It, it was an hour and a half drive in traffic every day. You know, so pissed off, throwing pennies at people's other people's car just you know <laughs> they're cutting in front of you. You know. Making sure I just had change to chuck at people, which you know is a terrible thing, but yeah. you know, like you know. that's that's the anger that was going on inside. Yeah, I it could have
1: that. been a lot worse. You know, you could have gone up to rocks. So I'm happy you left before
0: that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So onto the Appalachian Trail. You finish backpacking. It's winter of two thousand eight. I remember you calling me or like looking me in my face and saying, Hey, Brad, do you want to go hike for 2000 miles in six months (laughs) to the Appalachian trail? And I looked at you and I was like, fuck no. (laughs) (laughs) So how, how did you, cause you hiked this with a good friend of ours. Where did the idea come from? What made you want to do it? Because it was a quick turnaround. Was it not? You got back from backpacking and within three months you were, you were hiking.
2: Yeah. So I was out in uh, Thailand traveling with these two girls. I met uh, one, you know, had, hiked, had biked across America and she she had talked about how great of a physical experience that was. And, you know, I was getting at the end of the backpacking and I didn't know what to do kind of next, whether I was going to go to Africa or what was going to happen. So when I came back, I was like, well, let's make it a, a different type of travel where I was going to physically challenge myself and uh, just kept on kind of trying to pick and choose and figure out what was there. And, you know, since the Appalachian Trail was in our backyard, uh, you know, I was like, Let, let's do that and figured I could probably convince a friend, you know, but at the same time, our friend Joel, uh, he he kind of had the idea separately, you know, oh, really? we were both back home at the same time and just kind of bullshitting around, drinking in bars and I think the idea was like, okay, you're going to do it. I'm going to do it. Let's do it.
0: Maniacs. I wanted Sick. Nate. I wanted no part of this.
1: <laughs> I'm not surprised. Basically, I have asked Brad numerous times to do different trips with me, and he's always said no. And I was like, he's just not crazy enough.
2: <laughs> oh, I, I, you know, at that point in my life, I wasn't turning down anything. Like someone said, let's do this. I was, I was all about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. No doubt. I've done some crazy stuff, but I've kind of, I've got to be mentally prepared for it myself. I ended up hiking the Camino de Santiago later in life. So the AT, the Appalachian Trail, is 2,000-something miles. The Camino is 400-something miles, and it's only a month. And I was like, I can do that. I can, I can commit. Pack. Yeah. I, also, I also think I have commitment issues. Well, I know I have commitment issues, but, wait, wait, you know. you got commitment issues, right? <laughs> yeah. So six months, I was like, nah, bro, I can't. You know, that's longer than I've ever dated anybody. So that's where I fall. I've had plenty of one-month
1: flings. I can do this one-month hike. <laughs>
0: Anyway, about the Appalachian Trail, for for folks who don't know anything about it, it's the longest hiking-only footpath in the world at 2,190 miles. I think I got that exact. As we mentioned earlier, it's from Georgia, the Maine. It takes roughly about six months to complete, Dan, right?
2: Depends on how good of a shape. I think uh, we did it in about six months, a little under six months. Uh, Looking back on it, we could have probably done it in... Three and a half, four, but we damn, uh, damn. partied the whole time. Yeah, we had, uh, our trail names were uh, my buddy was Rock and I was Roll, so we kind of lived up to the hype. <laughs> you,
0: know? you you also encountered uh, you had to take a couple pauses. No, you boys so, got
2: got MRSA. Oh, we did, oh I totally forgot about that. We did get MRSA. What do you mean you it forgot was, about I, that? Th- I blocked that out of my head. You Remember two had that to go one. to the
0: hospital. You had like a bacterial infection on in your thighs. How did you forget
2: about that? I, I never went to the hospital. I okay. just got the anti- antibiotics. Jo- okay. Joel ended up going to the hospital. I think.
1: So when you when you what month did you start it in?
2: So I started. We started April Fool's Day, I believe. Uh, it it sounds like April a really 1st good tone or set for rock and for roll. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then it it was snowing down there in Georgia, or like there was parts of the mountains that were uh, still snow. But, uh,
1: did you finish in October in Maine then?
2: Yeah, which and was, was that
1: also freezing ass cold? It,
2: it was pushing it. The last mountain that you you summit is called katahdin and I think it's only open until like October fifteenth. and then oh, they wow. shut it down.
0: so you guys just snuck in.
2: Yeah. I but have we one were... friend
1: who's done the a t and I remember seeing pictures of him in Maine, and it was like blizzarding. It was kind of September October time frame. and I said, you know, that seems like he could have, you know, a bit more urgency in those lower <laughs> states to get there. <laughs> you
2: how, know, do you, like, how do you control can,
1: the pace, though? Like, what kind of things dictate how fast you're going?
2: So really, your body and what you, you know, like anybody, is. it's such a dumb, hype, like, saying i guess hike your own hike but it also is so impactful like you just do what you need and you know i've used that in my own life like afterwards like oh you just do what you want to do and don't let anybody else dictate you so we kind of used that and ours was all about you know we didn't care whether we finished at the beginning we were just like oh let's hike to virginia okay let's hike back home and then we're like okay we could probably do this like let's let's keep on having fun you know we got the money like we you know we're not really spending any money except you know a few dollars in the bars every time we get to town so like let's do this so it, i feel like it,
0: that's a good mentality to have you don't put too big of a of a carrot in front of you you know or it becomes this inner insurmountable thing where you're just like oh, i'm gonna hike six months you know
2: and yeah th- if we would have like sat there and at the beginning been like whoa we're going to do this whole thing i don't think we would have finished it oh, wow. it was just like let let's go hike for a little bit and see what happens and you know say we met someone or something else came up or popped up like let's not say no to the adventure let's just go with the adventure and it just happened to be that the whole trip was the adventure
0: that is such a... a fucking roads provides <laughs> <laughs> motto right there i love that
1: fucking put that tattoo on my rib cage uh <laughs> what do you think was the sw- like what was when was the switch where you're like maybe we should hike this whole thing
2: so the trail goes near the dc area where we live once we came back here, we uh went home for like a week and just like partied with all our friends and
0: recovered from MRSA.
2: Yeah, recovered a little bit and we're like, Well, we want to do it now. Now it was like let's let's do this. Our bodies are in shape. You just feel like a beast at that time. You know, you've hiked like a thousand miles and you're like ready to go and like sitting around, you just couldn't sit around anymore. And your oh, yeah. body is you feel like a s you're superhuman at that point. You just can do anything. All right, so let's get to let's get to the the
0: bones of hiking the trail. I kind of asked you this before we got going, Dan, but I want to give some value for anybody who's thinking about hiking the AT. What are three things that you would tell yourself pre-hike like about the Appalachian Trail? Three things you'd bring or, you know, three bits of advice or there or there something that really stands out from the from the trail?
2: So really like you can't get in shape or do any of that until you get out there like it, there's no like planning for it because you know your body's going to adjust you can't lift enough weights or do that because it's not the same it's like trying to say that you're going to be ready for football season without tackling anybody that's not going to happen so yeah. you know that that's number one yep. second like you just take what you're going to use every day i think everybody wants to pack and have all this stuff right but you don't need all that stuff it's just you take what you're going to use yes, and that's absolutely. it third like make it your own don't don't let anybody else dictate what you're going to do or don't get hyped up like i gotta do 30 miles i gotta do this it's really you do what you want for your own adventure
0: yeah those, and I, go ahead, go ahead no, i think no those are are three things one when you one of those is kind of like hike your own hike Right, mm-hmm. And when I hiked the Community de Santiago, that was the biggest advice you gave me that I really took to, to heart, which dictate your own pace, listen to your body, and you know, hike alone, don't feel pressured to stop when other people stop if you don't want to, or keep going if your body's saying no, all that stuff. I think that's all great advice, and the pack thing cannot be understated. Like, when you get out there and you're humping it 20 miles a day, what you carry is a big deal. And it's amazing what you, you can really survive on how little you can survive on and how much you don't need. I can't tell you how many people I've been on the Camino now in in Spain, like three different times. After week one, you just see people just shedding shit left and right. People are like, any dumb little thing that they thought they needed is just useless. Because all you need is socks boots it's, underwear well, yeah. and a t-shirt <laughs> The two pairs of socks is
1: the biggest luxury uh i did a, th- <laughs> I did a 30 days knolls hiking uh course oh, nice. um so i mean same thing where you're just kind of on the every day you wake up and and hike but uh the one thing they said was ounces equal pounds and pounds equal pain that, and that's... that was the one thing that stuck and it was like it was amazing it was just like kind of like a seal team sick o- six operation in terms of like cutting off the rest of the toothbrush you only have this much of like an inch of the toothbrush that's all you need because the rest of that was just mere ounces you didn't need
2: (laughs) that's the truth like there's there's so much like you you look at your bag and you're like i don't need that and you know i kind of meld that into my traveling now it's like what do i actually need or can i pick up a t-shirt somewhere else like if i need it like can i go to one of the Kosan road in thailand and just grab some t-shirts do i actually need to travel with them in my bag to begin with
1: yeah, on and that your wife's like, can you please pack more than two T-shirts
0: this time, honey? <laughs> she, <laughs> on, she, on that, she's like that. Yeah. On that point, though, Dan, is it easy for hikers to pick stuff up along the way, and how frequent can you find, like a not an REI, but an outdoor spot
2: or or a Walmart or a Kmart or something where you could supplement? So, so you go into town like every on the appalachian trail it's like every three to five days you go into town and they're like small towns and on the pacific crest trail you're going in town every five to seven days so you can you can roughly get things like we would there's usually a you know goodwill or something if you need stuff like to pick up to wear for there or anything like that now now actual pack stuff you know these days it's easy because you got your phone and you can get it shipped to uh uh, post offices and every town has a post office so you can just get it shipped and they'll hold it for you and you can pick it up there So these days like things are a little bit easier. These kids
0: they don't know these modern-day hikes That's when <laughs> I hiked the AC Yeah, back in 13 years ago
2: That's like a big thing for people that are packing their own food or whatever A lot of people made their own food de- Dehydrated and would just ship everything to post offices along the way and pick up things uh, You know have already pre-made food for them
0: oh Mm -hmm. shit that's next level
1: were you guys just like all right a few more like what i guess in terms of food were you guys just like did you have a game plan or were you just like let's just pick up more canned beans
2: (laughs) oh we 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 just picked up like lipton side dishes lipton side dishes are like the staple and like summer sausages and I was burning so many calories. I went I started at like two hundred and five pounds, and by the time I finished the Appalachian Trail, I was one hundred and fifty five pounds that so is I crazy. lost I lost fifty five pounds. And I was like burning weight. like I couldn't even eat enough. I was eating over ten thousand calories a day, still losing weight. My pack ratio, I couldn't carry more food, so my buddy was carrying extra food for me because my body was just eating itself
1: that's not you. It sounds like Jared really can eat shit because you had have cracked the code in terms of how to lose uh, vast amounts
0: of weight. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah it, listeners out months. there,
0: you want to lose yeah. 50 pounds, go hike for six months. Yeah, <laughs> believe it or not, the pounds will fall off. Um, uh, they, it's right.
2: wild. I, I look like a skeleton though. Like, you know, I felt great, but I, I looked like I was dying.
0: When you guys came back, you were definitely thin. You were gaunt.
2: Was I that felt the amazing though? Oh, yes. <laughs>
0: All right, now we're on the Appalachian Trail. I want to approach this subject of, you, you just mentioned you guys boozed and you, and, and you enjoyed yourself on the way. I know that there's this other component where people go to kind of discover things about themselves and they're in a, in a bit of a crisis and their solution or, or their- Spiritual awakening. Yeah, is to go walk for a long time, you know, to walk in the woods. There's some old American writer who probably, you know, started this craze. But what's this what's this balance between spiritual versus party? How did you find it on the trail? Is there a little bit of both? Is there one versus the other? Did did spiritual come to you? I doesn't sound like you guys were looking to answer any questions. You were just looking, you know, for a bit of a challenge and I
2: was I was just looking for a challenge, I think Joel the same, you know, but it does come into play like You you can't help, but, you know, as you're walking north every day for hours and hours to really look inside yourself and take stock of what's going on in your life, you have to. It's not, you know, you're forced to do it because you're alone in the woods for so long. So, you know, at times it does come into play. And to me, it was a beautiful thing, you know, I got to share it with a friend and being able to do it with a partner, which most people can't do with, with somebody else because, it just doesn't work that way you know most of the time you have to do it by yourself or can't no one's going to hike the same pace as you or be with you the whole time that like for for me it was wonderful to do with a friend and became spiritual at times but then physical and it would change and it would change within the same day sometimes oh this is a party now it's you know looking at myself of like Where's God? So it was wild that way.
1: You how have off drinks
0: and you start asking that question. <laughs> how often did you get fucked up, Dan? How <laughs> uh, how much of a element is partying? Do are there people on there who just
2: want to get boozed and walk and like smoke weed and do mushrooms and stuff like that? So, I didn't see as much mushrooms, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, the, that was a little harder to to see, and I'm sure there were, was that, but, you know, most people were smoking weed every day, multiple times a day. Oh, wow. uh, you know, every second they you get to a great view, you know, you're going to smoke, you know? It was, uh, and, and weirdly, at that time, it wasn't as prevalent in America, and it was still easy to come by, oh, even way. though you're in the woods. So, you know, <laughs> like, that was a... I would say 90% of the people out there are smoking weed. Oh, wow. Even then. Yeah, you know, it was 2008.
1: And it, and it didn't matter because Iron Lungs was pushing that old boy <laughs> north <laughs> and you were continuing to push it. Uh, kind of touching on um, the party aspect of it, would you guys go – my, my thing is is like do you set up camp and then go into town or do you bring your shit into town, get hammered and then go set up your tent or like what's – how does that look?
2: So uh, you'd, you would really go into town and decide, you know, you'd go party or whatever. or You know, if you knew you were going to stay in town for, like, the day or the next day, uh, you'd get, like, a shitty motel room and you'd pack, like, 50 hikers in there. Oh. <laughs> you'd pay, like, $80 for a hotel room and have, like, you know, 10 hikers just crashing in there and partying it up and you'd go eat at all-you-can-eat buffets and then go to the bar. And, you know, so really it was... It, I guess it depended on the town and, and everything and who you were with and around at the time and who was wanting to stay and party.
0: I, I wish listeners could see Nate's face right now. <laughs> He's just, that just little, sounds, like a Christmas tree.
1: <laughs> that just sounds – I mean like I think you, the more you get into this, I feel like you're like, oh, I can imagine it. You're walking. Wow, cool. So there's some cool foliage. But I think hearing the intricacies of this is like why I'm happy we're
2: we're doing this. Oh, you you weirdly have trail families too, like people hiking around you at the same time, the same pace, and you know you're going into town at the same time. You're like, let's do this, like let's just blow up this town and like have a great time. You know, some people are like, nah, I, I'm trying to go on a little bit faster. I I need to make it to here to meet my parents or you know do this. So I'll see you, and you might not see them again for a month. And then all of a sudden you've caught up, and then you're like, okay, we're in town again. Like, or you didn't know someone was going to be in town, and they were about to leave, and they see you, and you're just like, let's do it. And they're like, okay, another day. You just go and party it up, or sweet, you know. Or there's like little hostels along the way too, you know. And they're like, you throw a tent in the like five dollars, you throw a tent in some like a yard or something. So you get all these hikers there sitting around campfires and going to the liquor store and just boozing it up around a campfire. It's great.
0: That sounds awesome. And you're like,
1: uh, liquor store is two miles away. Doesn't matter. I'm in great shape. <laughs> yeah. I'll do that in 15 minutes. Let's walk.
2: <laughs> that, yeah. that is actually the way. Yeah. So,
1: you know, talking about the whole, like, traveling at the same pace thing, I think, for me, doing something that intricate with just one other person would be incredibly challenging. How did you guys manage traveling friend on friend in, like, I mean how did you keep sane in that relationship?
0: Yeah, how did yeah, so, you not chop Joel's body up in, <laughs> in, in so, Georgia?
2: Uh, uh, he probably had more of a problem with me in that aspect. I was probably more emotional about everything than him. Whoever woke up first, we we would rarely ever hike together. So like if you woke up, you'd like get your shit together and get ready and then like tap on the other person's tent and say I'll see you up the way and you go you'd hike until like lunchtime and you'd like sit around and catch up with the other person hang out you know smoke a little bit like chill the other person would eat lunch you'd be like okay I'll catch you uh, up the way and kind of rinse rather lather repeat you know and that's how it you were rarely ever just together unless you were at camp
0: and this is uh, this was pre cell phones did you guys have cell phones doing this
2: I, I think I had a flip phone Okay, we, it was definitely not a. It was definitely not an iPhone. Like
1: you had to pack yeah, yeah. the razor because it was the lightest weight.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Like we, uh, our friend Joel, the guy who uh, who Dan hiked with, uh, is not a cell phone guy, so I don't imagine he had one. But that's still. It's pretty cool that there was this sense of you were still connected even in this age, like kind of pre-smartphones, and you were able to to stay together and, and communicate and and find the way up the trail together without getting you know too. Separated or something like that,
2: but but it was definitely hard. Like hiking with another person, like at one point, I'm sure I tried to break up with him. Basically, like I was just having like hard hard couple days. Like things were breaking down on like my pack and my body just kind of emotionally broke down on him and you know like, let him have it, even though it's nothing of his fault, you know, it was like, I'm done. I'm not hiking with you anymore. I'm going to finish this hike, but I'm not going to do it with you. And he, he was basically like sitting back. No, that's ridiculous. Like, just <laughs> eat some food. Like, here you go. <laughs> like we'll deal with this another day, sleep and like be on your way.
0: He talked you off on like You're a cold bastard, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> you
2: know, he was, he was more put together than I was. He's are you guys he, the same age? He's graduated. with Brad, I graduated uh, high school like a year younger than them. Oh, so we all hung out. I was going to say. I mean, yeah.
1: after traveling eighteen months, it wasn't enough to have your shit together. For, for <laughs> I asked, I asked that like because it's like it's like uh, two days ago. I'm like, I must have had like a meltdown trying to put gas in my car or something like that. Like I'm still, no matter how much travel you do, I'm still like a little bit of a bitch if I don't have food or you know coffee. So uh, Dan's, yeah, a little, I, Dan's a little Dan's
2: a little angsty that's the whole too. Way. At times. Yeah, like just. <laughs> get angry about stuff or like it's not working your way and like all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, I just need to eat something and then i will be okay. Like sit back and
0: make Everybody, it I think whether it's a, a long backpack and traveling or a long hike, everybody reaches a breaking point. And it's sink or swim time. You obviously were still committed to walking, even if, you know, without Joel, you're still committed to going forward, but it's cool when you can have a partner in crime who can kind of help soften, soften the blow when you run into a time, because everybody's going to hit it. Did Joel hit it? Do you remember Joel ever getting to the point where he was like cracked? He,
2: he was all cool all the time. Shit, fucking yeah. Joel. <laughs> yeah, that's what I admired about him.
0: Uh, but you talking
1: about um the hike, obviously, you know, you, you go through a lot of these ups and downs. What did it feel like when you got to the end? Was there a sense of like, was there a catharsis? Was it everything you'd picture at the end of a movie?
2: No. Was there a of- drone? it was kind of like a, oh shit moment. Like what's next? You know, like, oh, I hadn't planned on anything after that. So, you know, just hit back into the, you know, I went back home and it got into a depression. Really. It was, uh, kind of disturbing because you're so used to physically being that, that adrenaline rush, you're hitting the endorphins and everything. And then you get back home and you're not doing that anymore. And you start gaining weight and you're just doing nothing sitting City at a dive catch. bar. Yeah. So, you know, if I if I recommend to anybody if you're going to hike and you're going to do a long distance hike, have something else planned afterwards. Know that you're going to go 2 weeks to Mexico or Costa Rica or or something there so you don't get into that funk because, you know, for me it was that funk and I was lucky to be able to pull myself out and be like, "Okay, let me I needed money at that time, so that's how I found firefighting. But I had no background in firefighting. I was just searching and came across it. And so that, that helped pull me out of that funk. But I know a lot of people that hike, long-distance hike, go into severe depressions afterwards.
1: Oh, wow. But I think you talk about, and by the way, is up the way just something you guys say? Is that like, like what everyone says? Oh, where are you going to be? Just up the way. <laughs>
2: I, I I'm sure I'm sure I've, I've never heard that before, but I probably say that actually <laughs> Yeah,
0: But I mean do you it, you've experienced that Nate after a long trip.
1: Yeah, I mean for if, sure I think I for me I think kind of talking about what you've done uh, Dan is that I always have something else to look forward to even if it's like, okay in I'm gonna come back like when I came back from my year and a half my 18 months I was gonna do the Mongol rally three months later So I had something to look forward to. Even at the end of the Mongol rally, I knew I was going to go to Vietnam for five days and then Canada. And then I hitchhiked to San Francisco. Like there's always one more thing that by the time I got to Denver, I was like really ready to be relaxed. And then I later, half a year later, did Europe for a month. And then it kind of just like, I don't know. How did I you imagine get, how, I've never been a drug addict, but I feel like that's the way you like wean your way off. I probably should just go cold turkey, if you're a drug <laughs> addict.
0: But how did you how did you learn that about yourself, or did you intuitively know? Or did you was there a first trip that you experienced that withdrawal or that depression or was kind of sinking feeling, where it was like, oh, what do I do now?
1: Yeah, I think uh, when I came back from church camp uh, as a as a sixth grader, that was probably the tough. <laughs> I've always been optimistic. I think I'm always looking forward to the next one. And I think I have so many trips I want to do. There's like so much like energy I can put towards researching that, or, um, I almost bought a Japanese van this week. And so like, there's always things to be doing that, um,
0: I think you bring up a good point. Like, uh, me and Dan were talking about this a couple of days ago where you hear professional athletes will go through something like this after winning a championship. And it's, I find it odd sometimes to hear coaches or players go like that night after winning the championship or the next day and they're like, we're on to next year. College coaches be like, I started recruiting tomorrow. And players like, I'm in the gym, you know, on Friday or week after. And it makes sense if you've gone through such a big, something you've devoted your life or six months or, or something, you've got to find the transition point or else it can be... I don't, it can be dangerous, you know. I've fallen into these funks after big trips where I come home and you are legit depressed. Was it yeah. was it a big sinking depression? Yeah, to to get really heavy, but Dan, did you feel like you were in a rut, right?
2: Oh uh, I was terrible. Oh, uh man. you know, I just didn't know what to do. Like all the you know, I'd been chasing. Everything I did was like big and like you're talking about a drug addict kind of like it was I was traveling for, you know, 18 months and it was big and I was hiking for six months and that was big and then you'd come back and you'd be like, oh shit, even in the little things weren't big enough, you know, they weren't good enough. They weren't fixing that like need to do something or whatever. And
1: maybe I think
2: the only advice I'd
1: give maybe to listeners and maybe this is how I've gone from traveling for two and a half years to normalcy in Denver, start a podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you hiked the PCT with your now wife, then girlfriend. Um I mean like I I said I I can't date a girl for longer than a couple months. I couldn't imagine walking with a girl for for more than a, for a week. Day. <laughs> <laughs> uh what was it like to um to take on a trip like that with somebody you love and and uh, with a romantic partner,
2: I mean, I I kind of forced it upon her. You know, she had never <laughs> she had never hiked you know overnight before in her life, and I convinced her like, hey, you know, if we're going to do this as a, a long term relationship, even though we've been in a long term relationship at that point, if we're going to do this, I want at least a last hurrah before we start trying to have kids and and everything. Uh, you know, let let's get out and hike and see if show you my love, because I I have nothing but love for the long distance hiking. If if I could go out there every season, I would go out there every season. So convinced her to go out there. And it was hard at times, but also life changing, right? Like, we we know that we could do anything together. You know, you live in a tent with somebody for, you know, three, four months, you know, you know, you can do anything with that person.
1: You probably walk away from it being like, you know what i think she's the one uh i think that's like the kind of test if someone was going to debate between hiking the at and the pct what would you tell them if you're only going to hike one what would you hike
2: i would hike the pct the 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 mountains are phenomenal the views are better the beauty yeah like ideally the same type of things are going on you know you're you're hiking you're doing all that but the beauty and the the i guess remoteness sometimes that you're out there on the pct is just bar none you can't you can't beat that
0: the west coast is also a little more dangerous or no
2: as far as like it's it's wildly more dangerous like just you know you're you're more remote At, at certain times on the pct if you get hurt you break a leg you're going to have to get helicoptered out like, you're probably never going to get, have to get helicoptered out on the uh, East Coast.
0: Wow. Fair enough. Um, Nate, you got anything else on the...
2: No, the I'm actually, I'm
1: really excited. I, I'm just really excited for the, the final questions because there's some
0: really juicy ones in there. Uh, real quick before we've got a little, I don't know if it's a game, but we got something we're going to put you through, Dan. Anything we didn't ask you, anything you wanted to tell people about through hiking um about any of these trails anything that we kind of may have forgotten or missed
2: i mean i i would just say if you go out there make sure you respect the nature of it you know that that's a big thing for me at this point of for being out there like just respect the nature and the the people that come after you sweet all right let's move into our our oh i'm 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 excited
0: (laughs) our torture chamber of questions This is something we're just giving a shot with guests. Uh, we're basically just going to give you rapid fire questions, Dan, and we, we don't want one, a lot of answer. Yeah, it's just a one, it's a one o- word,
2: off the to dome, five word answer. Off the dome.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, quickest answer you can. Don't think about it. If it's yes or no, that's fine. If we feel like we need to uh, expand some more, we'll go there. It's ten questions. There's no clock. It's happening now. <laughs> All right, Dan. On your eighteen-month backpack, what was your favorite destination? Thailand.
1: What is your one, (laughs) what is your one go-to item, a must-pack for through hiking?
2: Oh, toilet paper, always, always with the toilet paper. Single or double ply? Oh, double. You you want to feel good? I don't leave anywhere on any type of trip these days without toilet paper.
0: That's fair. Um, Dan, do hikers bang on the Appalachian Trail, and how gross or awkward is it?
2: Oh. They do, and it is gross and awkward. It is definitely gross and awkward when you come across the people that you know and you see them on the trail banging.
1: Oh. Uh, it's just off of the. I'm going to. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I got <one> more <laughs> yeah. Pick it up. Like uh, what, what,
0: Nate? Do you want to. Anything else you need to know about that?
1: I was just going to say, like, it's like you're walking and, like, they're like up just just going on the, on my way and they're like you know middle of the act anyways uh quick rapid <laughs>
0: question. Um, it sounds like he's like 10 years old and talking about yeah okay
1: <laughs> thank you uh dan and brad for teaching me about the birds and the bees what is the shittiest state and what's the best state on the appalachian trail Ooh.
2: so the shittiest is probably west virginia you're only in there for like uh, not even a whole 20 miles and it's shittiest because it's west virginia but uh, <laughs> the, the best is, the best is new hampshire new hampshire the white mountains are like you know if you have a chance to just go hike the white mountains go hike the white mountains
0: hell yeah sick dan do you wear zip pants when traveling if so do you feel any shame when you wear them
2: i used to i don't anymore and yes i do
0: <laughs> feel shame.
2: <laughs> There's shame to it. They're, 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 I mean, they're they're fantastic, you know, for what they are. But there is definitely, uh, you know, like, oh, you should probably be a robbed American tourist, right?
1: <laughs> My man, uh, Nate. What is the best party destination on the trail?
2: That's a hard one. Pennsylvania. You can go to the Yingling uh, Brewery. Oh, I fucking love Yingling.
0: Sweet, so do I. Um. Once it's safe to travel properly, where do you want to go, Dan?
2: Oh, Japan. I'm all about food tourism these days, and I can't wait to eat some sushi right out of Japan or some, you know, brahmin or something like that.
0: Hell yeah. Are you, had, taking the, are you taking the
1: fam? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had sushi from um, uh, Sprouts tonight. Can you confirm it's better in Japan? Uh, <laughs> all right, next question. Um, when you're taking a wild shit without toilet paper, do you prefer leaves or rocks?
2: Rocks.
0: It's a good choice you guys are fucking weird I didn't even know that this was a question or a thing <laughs>
2: I don't even want to go you, down. you don't want something crumbly up on there you know <laughs> the rock at least is find a smooth one
0: all right that's uh that's more <laughs> than I than I want to know Dan would you tra- would you rather travel by foot by car or by plane
2: foot you know I'm all about when I whenever I've traveled I've never tra- like tried to stay on a continent by at least car but if I could travel by foot I'm traveling by foot
1: um, what's the worst hostel you've ever stayed at in the world?
2: I don't know the name of it But it was in Brazil and I was there on New Year's and there was not a single person there uh, Not not New Year's I was there I landed on Christmas and there was nobody in the hostel and it was just me For the first time in Brazil by Christmas by myself. It was the most depressing thing
0: <laughs> Was this in where was this Rio yeah,
2: it was in Rio and, and then this, I, I walked around all Christmas, and I found a different hostel and moved in the next day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> was and that was the first? Was that the first place you went at the beginning of the eighteen month trip?
2: Uh, no, that but that was the first place in South America. So I flew, I flew in down to South America for Christmas, thinking it was going to be a good party at a hostel, and it was bare bones and just me.
0: Well, I had, the, had a good come time. New Year, and, come New Year's Eve, the party was good in Rio, though, right? Oh, fantastic! Yeah, that's what I'm talking
2: black eyed peas on the Ipanema beach with two million people.
0: Rio, baby, I don't know
1: Rio. Uh, yeah, I had. I went. I was in Penang, Malay, Malay, Georgetown in Penang, Malaysia for Christmas, and it was electric. I had a really good time.
2: Oh, I love um, that place. I had the best curry there. Yeah, it's. It's.
1: You know. would isn't um, Penang? Isn't Penang curry? Yeah, <laughs> that's Penang. Thing, that's, right? that's where it is. Do you have any more lingering thoughts, Brad? What are any other
0: final questions? no i think that nails it for our our 10 question thing game dan my brother of what did we say the other day 24 25 years
2: some somewhere around 25 probably like 26 you know 25 26 years
0: my brother older than me (laughs)
2: yeah
0: we were friends before you were born nate uh, I uh, I will say
1: that you said earlier That you're a friend of the pod And I was like I haven't met Dan through this process But I feel like we're leaving as friends Dan Which is all I can ask for uh, For a podcast Is just to g- you know, gain friends
2: I, I hope at one point We get to meet up and travel together somewhere
1: Oh hell yeah
0: Nate I don't know how we end this Yeah I don't know Yeah I think you'd say uh,
1: Sayonara Dan
0: Hit the <laughs> <Yeah>. break, <pal. laughs> I appreciate it Thanks Dan Love you
2: <laughs> Alright have a good
0: one Alright peace Thanks, Dan.
1: Well, I just want to say uh, now that Dan's off, thank you for bringing him on because he's uh, an absolute character. And I think uh, seeing his facial expressions also was was great. Uh, So now moving off to the off-trail destinations, our final segment. It is somewhere that neither of us have been but we are pumped out of our minds about. And uh, we're talking about the hipster Balkans. We call it the hipster Balkans because everyone's been to Croatia. People know about Greece and Mykonos, but what the fuck is in between those two nations? That's where we want to go. Yeah, so baby.
0: Brad. All right. can Can I be frank, Nate? Yeah, I, of course. <laughs> I'm over Western Europe right now. France, Italy, Spain, Germany, dead to me. Wow. West Western Europe, Western Europe is the homecoming king and queen that keep getting nominated every year in high school just because they're popular and somewhat attractive. Eastern Europe, on the other hand, is the good looking guy or girl in high school that keeps to themselves, maybe dresses a little weird, but is just as inter interesting as the popular kids. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like because they actually have more to their personality
1: and when they're they're 28, 10 years later at the 10-year reunion, people are like, Yo, that person's fucking sick. Why did we give so much attention to these yahoos?"
0: Yeah, you know what I mean? So that's where we are. This leads us into our off-trail destination today. We're ditching the blonde-haired high school quarterback that is Western Europe, and we're going to Southeastern Europe, specifically the Balkans. As you say it, the the hipster Balkans, I'm talking each each country's wearing a little beanie. (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking a triangle of intrigue and adventure that is Bosnia and Herzegovina, Montenegro and Serbia. So. I, we hyped this up a lot, Nate. Where are we launching from? Where, well, where are we, are we taking the lightning? Where are we, we riding are, the lightning from?
1: We are flying in to a place of historic proportions. I don't know. Have you ever heard of World War One? <laughs> but I have, and it popped off in Sarajevo. Archduke Franz Ferdinand. I don't know why I said it like that. Archduke Franz Ferdinand has to be the most prolific offing. Of all time. And it's not even close. (laughs) No. I mean, what one person's death has caused that much crazy shit to happen in a four-year span? Probably nothing ever. But it's so much more than just that historical site.
0: Yeah, not necessarily what we don't want to... Yeah, yeah. we're not a history podcast, so we're going to move on.
1: It is deemed the Jerusalem of Europe. And what I mean by that is in the same neighborhood, there's a cathedral, a mosque, a synagogue, and an Orthodox church. There's a conversion and a melting pot that I want to see firsthand. But not just that. Do you know much about ruin porn? Do I? I
0: mean, tell me more about that ruin porn. <laughs> so in
1: 1984, I love I love Winter Olympics, the Winter Games. Sarajevo hosted the Winter Olympics in 1984. And then it was over, like the day it was over, they said, How about we just don't do any maintenance on this and just leave it? So now you can go explore bobsled tracks, old stadiums, the ski jump, or what's left of it. And for me, that stuff is just like, it's like a Chernobyl without the radioactivity.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, to be fair, you kind of said in the beginning, we don't know a ton about this region or Sarajevo, period. And that's why I want to go. I am absolutely fascinated with this idea of human history and how fast borders can change how fast the city's fortunes can change and you touched on it this was the ottoman empire this was the habsburgs austrian hungarian monarchy franz ferdinand r.i.p uh sarajevo rested power from, king <laughs> yeah sarajevo went from hosting the winter olympics tonight in 1984 to eight years later, being completely, you know, being bombed, it's just wild to me. The swings you found in this, in this, this region, Yugos- old Yugoslavia, now Bosnia Herzegovina, which is Sarajevo is, and I'm fascinated by that aspect of just how quick fortunes can change, uh, how fast borders can change, and and that's yeah, why and I, I want to I don't think there's many play.
1: I mean, obviously, a lot of geopolitically across the world, there's a lot of countries that have changed in our lifetimes mainly yours a bit too, I mean, the, you know, dissolution of the Soviet union, but uh, it's very rare. You can go to a place where all this has happened and it's also
0: safe to travel. You weren't even born yet, but I remember 1992, like this being a ma- major conflict, what was happening in the old Yugoslavia and in this area. And um, as they were just redrawing these borders and anybody of your age, like when you were born, like this stuff, this was already set out, but, in in human history, that's 30 years ago. That's and so very have, small. Yeah. yeah, to have all this change in this part of the world, to me, is fascinating. And that's why we're here. So we're here. Yeah. I love the
1: context. Yeah, a great way to kick it off. So moving down a bit further south in Bosnia and Herzegovina is Mostar. And that sounds like a website, but it's not. <laughs> um, it's this old town. And kind of piggybacking off the talk about the, you know, the, the Balkan Wars in the 90s, uh, in 2004, there's this massive bridge that had been there for a very long time, and they had destroyed it, and there's a big standoff, and they rebuilt it in 04, and it was the biggest symbol of reconciliation in this post-war region. Oh, wow. So with that, uh, not just stuff about the war, you also can jump off the bridge. And <laughs> I've had friends do it. It's 70 feet tall, which is 22 meters, and it's it varies a bit depending on how high the river is, but that's high. Uh, we've done a 14 meter, Brad and I have done a 14 meter jump, um, in Vietnam and that was, that felt pretty high. So you have to go through this whole process. You have to, uh, do a smaller 11 meter dive uh, jump to see that you're like worth it and like athletic enough to like jump out of the water. But my friend did it. And when he jumped, he kind of landed on his ass, like, and he said he couldn't walk the next day. Yeah. You don't want to do that. Um, but you enter like this dive club. that's like, I don't know. how. So wait, they're have done jumping
0: it. off without ropes or anything. I thought this was a bungee jump.
1: They're just, no, no, no. You're jumping in... into the water. It's like a, it's like oh. a cliff jump. No, no, thanks. No, thanks. that <laughs> yeah, sounds but, awesome. Uh, yeah. I <laughs> what think a symbol I... Of
0: freedom and reconciliation. <laughs>
1: yeah. At 22, I would have said, yes, I'm crowding the age where my brain is fully developed. And that is probably uh, a no for me now. Maybe, who knows? But uh, yeah, let's
0: kick it down to the coast, Brad. What's going on down there? We're going to cross borders. We're going into Montenegro now, which for me has been on near the top of my list for the better part of five years. And we want to start in KOTOR. KOTOR is this uh, picturesque town on the bay of KOTOR. How about that? It's just just off the coast of Montenegro. We talked about this. It almost looks like you're in Italy. It's a place that you might expect to see there. You kind of said it looked like Monaco or something, right? There's big yachts. Port of... Port of Montenegro
1: is another place in that bay, and it looks like Monaco, and I'm like, I'm like,
0: is that a, is that a hundred and forty-five foot yacht? <laughs> but what you're getting from this this part of the world, this part of Montenegro, is this was the old Venetian Empire. So you're kind of getting what you might have expected from Italy or other parts of the Mediterranean, but in Montenegro. And to add a little more to Kotor, it's flanked by the Dinaric Alps to the east. We nerded out on Google Images for a good 30 minutes about this place in this area. So I would recommend you do the same. Get on Google Images and find KOTOR, K-O-T-O-R. I can't wait to get smashed on wine <laughs> in a place like this. Fall hopelessly in love with a stranger. I, I just feel like that needs to happen to me. It is. Like it's. I mean, it just blew my
1: mind that this place existed. And I'm like, how did I not know about this place? Because it, it looks like such a hidden gem. But I was looking up accommodation and you can find like a, a guest house apartment for like 20,
0: 30 bucks a night. So they're pretty much giving it away for free. <laughs> Done and dusted. Before we get out of Kodor, I want to say one thing that you must do when you're there is hike the ladder of Kodor. I mean, how's that for a name? That sounds like... The ladder like, of Kodor. <laughs>
1: that sounds like uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. It's like this the like the the bootleg version where like they can't say motor, so they say... <laughs>
0: Coder. It's an old road that you hike up. It's 72 switchbacks and leads to these incredible panoramic views of the town and the bay below. So Coder, do it, make it happen. Uh, Real quick before we move on, there's a place in that bay called Paras that everybody goes on about. Um, It's supposed to be super charming and beautiful. That's the
1: first picture I saw. And I was like, I think we need to, we need to take our time in here. And I think if I'm being completely honest, of all these places we're talking about, this is my number one most excited. I need to get out there and just like I want like a little Vespa and just like a cool pair of sunglasses and rip along this coast.
0: Well, then you're going by yourself if you're traveling Yeah, yeah by <laughs> me. Our next stop is Budva. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. That's B U D V A. This is the star of the Montenegrin coast. 17 beaches, crazy nightlife, this sounds, Nate, Nate, this sounds like a place you plan to stay for a night or two. Next thing you know, it's been a week, you've developed a drinking habit, and you owe some guy named Sergey a bunch of money. That- A hundred percent. This is what I'm picturing when I go to Budva. Yeah, and I think when when I see the,
1: the old town there, you know, I think people, I have not been to Dubrovnik, but obviously Game of Thrones has made Dubrovnik such a hot tourist destination that you're going to be any time of the year, shoulder to shoulder with so many tourists. Budva looks like Dubrovnik, but cooler. It's like the bad boy cousin that left home at eighteen. You haven't heard him, but it's five years later, and you're like, "Is Budva still alive?" And you're like, "Oh yeah, he's kicking all right.
0: Uh, he's in he's in Los <laughs> Angeles. He's, <laughs> yeah, he's in Los Angeles. <laughs> he's in what's a, he doing? Oh, he's selling raw denim. Great, great, great. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you you will get tourists there. They're just sure. maybe not as um, many Americans or other Westerners. I've heard it's really really popular with ukrainians and russian socialites mm. and to be honest i'd i'm down to meet some ukrainian upper middle class socialites that's I mean,
1: if you if you ain't missing melania right now i don't know what i can do for you
0: <laughs> but right, yeah. any, anything else on on budva or yeah i just want it... to say in that region you
1: can um actually yeah no i, I just want to say it just looks amazing that's all
0: i'm gonna say <laughs> fair enough so we're bumping down the coast and we're stopping next and bar
1: I mean the yeah. name, literally the name is like probably like the ethos of this podcast is
0: ripping a few uh bevies. We're boozing in bar, pretty much. That's what it that's what it's all about. It's not as charming as some of the other places we just mentioned. What that means is less crowds and less tourists, which for me is a massive bonus. I don't want to be surrounded by a bunch of tour buses and and lazy holiday folks. I want to be in it and amongst it with montenegrins and so it feels mm-hmm. like that's what you're getting in bar bar really i think for us from the research we've done is kind of a springboard day trips i've heard from outside you can go kayaking it's supposed to be a great place to kayak and also like a dope place to canyon i don't know what canyoning is but it sounds mm. adventurous you basically are getting down like a river that is in a canyon
1: we i did it in vietnam i don't think yeah you weren't there with us but it's like you're rappelling down waterfalls you're jumping
0: off cliffs Fair enough. Sounds good. There's apparently a lake that's just 15-20 uh, minutes or 15-30 minutes outside of Bar that's supposed to be spectacular. It's a natural preserve, so you can hit that up. But what really got me excited about this trip and getting to this region is a couple years ago, I read about this train. There is a train from Bar to Belgrade, or vice versa, Belgrade to Bar. So we're leaving Bar Montenegro, taking a train to belgrade serbia just a I quick we- note that tra- that train sounds like an action
1: movie like a like a budget action movie that you'd like nicholas where's been nicholas cage oh you've even seen that movie bar to belgrade it's about <laughs> he, he's fighting guys on a train
0: <laughs> i've been waiting two seasons to talk about this this is it for me this is peak big balkans peak trip planning so it's considered one of widely considered one of the best train rides in the world. It's Soviet Soviet era train cars, 250 tunnels, 435 bridges, idyllic lakes, Alps. It is a train gasm, a literal train gasm. The hair on the back of my neck stands up when I'm thinking about it. It's 11 hours. It's a lot. It doesn't matter when you're hitting bridges and tunnels every fucking two minutes. <laughs> but anything that's worthwhile is going to take a bit of a sacrifice. So you're just going to have to bite the bullet here and take the 11-hour train to Belgrade. So, boom, we're in Belgrade. <laughs> Let's just take so it you know. off safety. What's happening in Belgrade? Wow.
1: Well, we're going to round out this triangle of pure insanity, as Brad would describe, uh, in Belgrade. And one thing I will say is on the Rally, there was the team Baja Lama that we met up with in Baku. But we talked about, like, everything there. And the one big difference of our route and their route was that they went through Serbia. Specifically, they had, I think, one or two nights in Belgrade. And I think at the end of the rally, they pretty much said it was the craziest night of the trip. And I asked – I just texted him two days ago. I was like, "Um, hey, Jeff, where (laughs) – what – like, give me any and all suggestions for Belgrade. And he literally just sends me this. Blaznovak bar. And I was like, that's a fucking recommendation. And I looked it up and it's this cute little, like, it's really funky. It's got a courtyard, has this massive like tie dye elephant, but I think it's just like one of those places you can drink coffee during the day and then you just stay there. I also doing, in doing some research, there's some cool history stuff and whatnot, but it looks like one of those places you just go down by the river, have some beers, meet some locals. That's where the pulse of the city is.
0: And that's really what appeals to me that's that's what it comes down to for me. i I don't have I didn't do much research. I googled around, Belgrade, stuff like that. I just want to go. This is a major cultural hub in Southeastern Europe, East Central Europe. I just want to go there and let the city teach me and tell me what to do. This place has been around for thousands of years. All types of people have come through here. This, you know, it's not quite Turkey, which is the center of the world, but i Not just got, far off. I've just got to believe that Belgrade will
1: provide, and a hundred percent. And the last thing I'm going to say to round this out full uh, full circle is: Red Star Belgrade is uh, Serbia's best soccer team. If you want to flat out try what I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Red Star Belgrade is that team. If you've seen the All or Nothing Tottenham documentary, uh, they go play an away game at Belgrade, and I go, "Are they going to war?" Because it's fucking nuts. And I just, it like, it is, it is everything I love about sport because the people probably, like, you could die going to one of these games, but I love that energy. <laughs> Haha, how about that to end the podcast? <laughs> Either way, I'm excited about this region. I don't know when I'm going to get there, but I will. And you bit your
0: sweet ass, I'm going to enjoy it. All right, cool. Well, for Nate's sweet ass and for Dan, uh, Sanders joining us today. Thanks again Dan, we appreciate all the the trail knowledge and your your travel chops uh, and expertise. This is the road provides.